0: Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Jonah chapter 1. And if you don't, that's all right. You can look on the screens with us this morning. We are continuing our series through the small but very important and impactful book of Jonah. So Jonah's story is uh, quite famous. Uh, Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably at least heard something about Jonah and the whale. And so uh, we are looking at this story and seeing that there's so much more. dive into here and so we are enjoying each week I hope you are at least it's a five-week series and so we're in week three now of five before we finish this great story so before we uh, dig into it today let me pray for us and and we'll get right into it Lord Jesus again we thank you for who you are for dying for our sins on the cross in our place and raising from the grave Lord, it is by grace through faith in your name and what you've done for us that we are saved, that we can have a relationship with God forever. So I thank you for this gospel message and I pray that it would be so clear and evident in the story of Jonah in our hearts today. It's in your name we pray, amen. So I like the Olympics. I like watching other people do things that I'll never be able to do. Uh, It's just kind of fun, right? It's very depressing in a way. But every sport in the Olympics is very difficult. At least I would say I I couldn't do any of those things the way those Olympians do it, right? So there's one sport, though, that I think stands far above the rest. There's one sport that is no question in my mind the most difficult Olympic sport, and that is water polo, right? Has anybody even ever tried to tread water for longer than 30 seconds? I mean, really? Like, can anybody do that physically besides these superhuman athletes? Where do these people even come from, right? I don't even know anybody who plays water polo. Maybe there's underground leagues or something I don't know about. But it's, it's an amazing thing to watch because these athletes are incredible. I mean, they can tread water the whole game, right? So if you're not familiar with water polo, essentially it's, it's soccer with your hands in a pool okay like it just blows my mind like how do you do this and so watching it just makes me tired and i have no clue i don't understand because it would be impossible for me and i probably would be impossible for most of us we would know pretty quickly right we would know pretty quickly that we just we couldn't go on right yo coach i need some help right i'm going to have to either swim to the side here or y'all going to have to jump in and save me right but even even the greatest water polo player in the world, right? Maybe you have his or her poster or something in your wallet at home. I don't know. I don't know who that is, okay? But the greatest water polo player of all time, even that person could not continue on treading water forever, right? I mean, they might can go, I don't know, 40 minutes, however long a match is. They can go the whole time perhaps with very little breaks, but no human could do it forever. For a moment, there would be this sense of panic. There would be this sense of anger because you know that you're in danger. You know that you're about to sink and you will drown if you don't swim to the side or someone throws in a life preserver of some kind for you. And I think that feeling, that feeling like you're treading water and you know you just can't keep it up, that is exactly how our sin makes us feel over time that's exactly how we feel that we can't keep going we know we're trying to do the wrong thing and it's not working and we can't keep it up it's exhausting jonah has been treading water spiritually for quite a while at this point even though we're still in the first chapter This disobedience, his disobedience has led to a complete unraveling of his life, a downward spiral. If you think about his choices that he's made, I mean, he heard the call of God. He knew what God wanted him to do. It was very clear. And yet he disobeys. He runs literally in the opposite direction as far away as humanly possible at the time in the ancient world. He doesn't want to obey God's calling on his life and plans for him and his word that is extremely explicitly clear. He thinks he knows a better way. And so his choices to flee and run away from God, his choices to board that ship on its way to Tarshish and to get on that ship and to go with those sailors to run away from God, those choices have led him, as we saw at the end right last week, God sent this this violent storm to get Jonah's attention. And so the sailors realized that Jonah was the problem, and so they tossed him overboard into the ocean, into the Mediterranean Sea. And so Jonah has truly reached a low point in his life. He's about to drown if something doesn't change quite literally and spiritually. So he's going down further and further. He can't tread water forever. And that's exactly where we pick up with this great story as we left off last week in verse 16. We're going to pick up in verse 17 today. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. What's happening to Jonah? We would assume that he would die after being thrown into this storm out of the ship In the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, we would assume that he's as good as dead. But here's what happens. Verse 17 And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, is it a whale? Is it a fish? Right? I mean, I hear, you know, it's funny to hear people like kind of say, well, it wasn't, it doesn't say a whale. It said it was a fish, right? Well, actually, the Hebrew word, just so you know, is a general term for an aquatic beast, all right? So there was an aquatic beast. Of course, it says fish, so we're, ima- we're imagining something probably like a, a really large whale, which, as you know, I mean, some of those whales can be longer than school buses, right? So this is a huge whale that God, And keep in mind here, don't get too distracted by the well, okay? Like, well is that is that humanly possible? Right? Don't get too distracted by that because we're talking about a God, the God who created the moon and the sun and the stars and the planets, spoke them into existence. We're talking about a God who raises Jesus from the dead. So if you can't believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a well, then I don't see how you could possibly believe that Jesus was raised from the grave. So let's just don't let that be a mental block, right, in your head. This is God we're talking about so he can do and cause anything in nature to behave miraculously in this way. But can you imagine how terrifying that must have been, right? I mean, not only do you think your life is over, Because you've been thrown overboard into the raging sea. But now, as you're treading water, you can't imagine that you're going to get out of this somehow alive, and then whether Jonah even realized what was happening or not. You know, and you got to wonder, like, did he see this well coming up? Like, did he see it coming, or was he facing the other way, and did did it just overtake him? We don't know. But you have to wonder if Jonah thought that that was him dying, as everything grew dark and all of a sudden he's in this nasty, smelly place, right? It's cramped, it's, it's crowded in there, right? I and mean, it kind of sounds like a teenager's bedroom, you know what I mean? Like it's even worse than that, right? He's in there and it's just, it's terrible. It's the most frightening experience. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Maybe he thought he had died, but he realizes that he's alive he cries out to God before we see what Jonah said notice here that it said the Lord appointed God was saving Jonah's life by putting him in the belly of a beast the most unlikely place of salvation but God in his grace see Jonah should have drowned right Jonah should have died right there, but God in his grace provided a vessel of salvation. So Jonah has hit rock bottom truly, but now he has some time to reflect and think about his life, to think about what has gotten him to this low point, this dark point in his life. God has gotten his attention, and so finally, finally, after trying to run away from God's presence, knowing that he was doing the wrong thing over and over, making poor choices, bad decisions, not in accordance with God's will, he knew that he belonged to God. He was a child of God. Let's get, let's get that right. He was a prophet of God, by the way. Not just a, a believer, but he, was a, he worked for God, Right? He was a prophet who proclaimed God's message in the ancient world to the Israelites. And so Jonah knew God's presence, but he was trying to get away from God, deliberately disobeying, chasing idols in his life. And so after all that time, God gets his attention, gets him in a place where he is forced, he is forced to think about who he is, who God is, and what in the world is going on in his life. He cries out to God and hears his prayer. Let's read it. So we're going to read the whole prayer. It's the whole, uh, almost the whole chapter, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Here we go. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice where you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me all your waves and your billows passed over me then I said I am driven away from your sight yet I shall again look upon your holy temple the waters closed in over me to take my life the deep surrounded me weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In a very poetic fashion, Jonah expresses his gratitude to God from saving him out of this downward spiral. Now, people have different opinions about Jonah's prayer, and i I have an opinion about it myself. I'm not sure how sincere he is in this prayer. Let me explain briefly. I think he's sincere. So I think he's sincerely grateful that God rescued him from drowning. But I'm not so sure that Jonah's heart has truly changed as much as it needs to even though he's hit rock bottom in his life. Even though he's got to this low dark moment and you'll see as the story plays on why that's the case. So Jonah is genuinely grateful in this moment. But I don't know that his heart's changed much for the long run. But for now, even if Jonah wasn't experiencing real life change in that moment, we need to see the truth in this situation. So today, we're going to see two things in Jonah's downward spiral. We're going to see the drowning effect that sin has on us that keeps dragging us down to the bottom the darkest moments of our lives but we're also going to see that in those moments there is the ever-present opportunity for us to turn to God number 1 in Jonah's downward spiral we see the drowning effect of sin so if you're taking notes write this down in your Jonah journals the drowning effect of sin. You see verses 5 and 6 of Jonah's prayer here can serve as a good image of what sin actually does to us. Let's read verse 5 and 6 again. It says the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. In other words, Jonah's sin, his rebellion against God, his wanting to live and do things the way he thinks they should be done and answering to his own authority, right? All of that is the weight of sin coming down upon him, feeling as if there's weeds wrapped around his head at the bottom of the mountain, at the bottom of the sea. He's feeling like he's in prison spiritually. Bars have wrapped around him and he can't break free that is what sin does in our lives it grows inside of us slowly over time and around us and it puts us on this downward trajectory where our lives become more and more unraveled and unhinged over time it takes us through this slow drowning process you may not realize it at first, because here's the thing about sin against God. When we sin, it feels good at first, or else we wouldn't do it, right? When you, when you first tell that lie to your spouse or to your boss, you're doing it for a reason, right? You're not arbitrarily just lying. You're, 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 you're fudging on the truth. You're, you're lying to them because you want them to believe something that makes you look better, And so it's kind of easy the first time, and then when you realize that you've gotten away with it, it's easier to do it the second time, and the third, and the fourth. Before long, it becomes habitual. There's a pattern of that in your life. But at first, as things are going well, and your lies haven't caught up to you, you think life is going good, and this is a good way to live because it benefits me. But over time, what we begin to see is that we become unraveled and unhinged in our relationships with others and, most importantly, our relationship with God. Because over time, what sin does is like a cancer. It starts small with one little thought or one little action, but left unchecked, left untreated, it will multiply and grow and slowly take over your life. It will change the way you interact with other people. It will change the way you treat your family. It will change the way and the words you use to other people, your temperament, you will be short with people. All these things can be attributed to the fact that there is some kind of sin inside of us that is growing left untreated. That is what has been happening in Jonah's heart. He was a successful prophet of God. But then his life began to completely unravel until he hit rock bottom here in this passage. And so what's the cause of that? What's the cause of that sinful pattern? Well, Jonah gives us some insight as to the root issue. Look at Jonah 2 verse 8. Notice what he said in his prayer. He said, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love those who pay regard to vain idols, worthless idols. What is an idol? And why is Jonah mentioning that in his prayer? Well, you see, an idol is anything that you look to to save you. Anything that you make some kind of functional savior in your life that you have to have and you can't live without. It could literally be anything. It could be a certain lifestyle that you feel you have to maintain. So, To to maintain this level of, of luxury or comfort or lifestyle, you have to put in the hours, you have to put in the work, you have to possibly manipulate other people. Maybe there's all kinds of shortcuts that you have to take that aren't right and that actually harm others in some way, indirectly or directly, but you have to maintain that certain level of lifestyle. That's just one example of an idol. Another idol could be that you uh, really care about your appearance. And so you want your appearance. This is kind of related to the lifestyle, right? And so you will throw money at things, that at better clothes and, and bigger cars and bigger house because all of these things are important to your appearance to others. You want to have a certain image and so you will go to great lengths on social media to portray this certain kind of lifestyle that you want others to think you have. When all along, that's not really who you are. It's the best version you could possibly display of yourself. But on the inside, you are rotting away because you know that it's exhausting to you to have to try to keep living like that to impress other people. That could be an idol, your reputation, your comfort. Comfort's a big idol. You know, I I struggle with that at night when I'm trying to get the kids into bed. Me and Christy are trying to get our three little kids into bed. And, you know, sometimes you're tempted to just kind of rush that process and not spend that quality time like you probably need to. But why is that? Because I just want to be comfortable, right? I just want to sit on the couch. It's been a long, hard day, right? So go to bed, right? If you have little kids, you know what I'm talking about. But there's all kinds of idols. In other words, these things that we look to and say, I need you. I need you to feel good about myself. I need this thing to operate this way for my life to have meaning and purpose. Jonah's idols were an ethnocentric nationalism. Essentially, he only cared about his own nation and race. He was racist towards the Assyrians. He did not want them to experience God's grace. He literally wanted them to die under God's judgment, even though God went or told him to go preach to them. He didn't want to do that. So he had this nationalistic identity that was an idol to him. He also idolized his own comfort because it would have been a great risk to go preach to the Assyrians. But he didn't want to put himself in any uncomfortable situation. Those were Jonah's idols. You see, the more we devote our allegiance to these idols, you see what's happening? They start controlling you. That's what starts controlling your behavior. It's the idol's. It's not that, oh, well, the world's just a hard place to live and you don't know my friends. Well, yeah, those things are factors. but We can blame shift all day. At the end of the day, just like Jonah, the problem is in our own heart. Eventually, slowly, these idols begin to drown us in our own misery. It's ironic. It's ironic, isn't it, that the things that we look to to save us are actually what end up killing us because they never deliver the happiness and the peace that they, thought they that we thought they would. Chasing those idols is exhausting. It's like treading water in the middle of a sea with nowhere to go. Some of you here today are in the process of that drowning effect of sin. And you know what I'm talking about. Like Jonah, you've devoted yourself to some selfish cause that you're determined to fulfill and you feel tired. It's draining emotionally on you because you keep looking and turning to the same idol over and over to give you that peace and that comfort. And it's just, you know, it's you know it's lacking. At some point, your pursuit of that kind of peace and happiness in an idol is going to drive you to complete despair. And I'm not trying to sound gloom and doom here, but that's exactly what we see in this story. You will begin to suffer because of your idols. And so will the others that you love in your life. They will start to see it. They will start to suffer. You know, our sin is never as private as as we like to think that it is because it affects our character, which in turn affects how we treat others. There are so many sins that we all struggle with to some degree that we think, we think, you know what, this is just my thing, you know, It's not affecting my spouse. It's not affecting my kids. It's not affecting my work. It's not affecting the church. But that is part of the lie. That you can handle it. That you can manage it on your own. And that over time, other people will be safe from your own personal problem. And that is not true. Jonah probably thought that he was privately going to hide in that ship when he went down into it to sleep. As he was sinning against God. But who else was affected by his sin? The sailors were affected. Who else was affected? What about the people of Nineveh who were supposed to be hearing the message of God that Jonah didn't go give them? They were affected. Some people were affected directly by the action of his sin while others were affected indirectly by the inaction of his sin. And That's what sin does. As it continues to drown us, it keeps us indifferent to the needs of others. It turns your attention only to yourself. It's inherently narcissistic. We can only think about ourselves and what will advance our own agenda. We can only think about ourselves and how much better we can be. It pushes us further and further down to those deep, dark places in our lives where we never thought we'd end up. And that... That might be where some of you are today. Maybe you have hit rock bottom, and maybe nobody knows that but you. Because you have a great way and you've become a master of hiding your inner struggle. So what do you do then? Well, that brings us to the second thing we see in this prayer today. In Jonah's downward spiral, not only do we see the drowning effect of sin, but you know what else we see? The ever-present opportunity for repentance. Ken read part of Psalm 139 to us during the worship earlier. Look again at verses 7 through 10. The psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that means realm of the dead. If I make my bed in the realm of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even like Jonah, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That is a beautiful truth that if you belong to God, his hand holds you forever even though you try to run away. Do you think really that you can escape the presence of an omnipresent God, an all-present God? Richard Kokin says, we can never be too lost for God to find us. Let me say that again. You can never be too lost for God to find you because God is everywhere. He sees your every move. He knows your every thought. He created you and he knows you and he knows the next step you're going to take. You cannot escape the presence of God as hard as you may be trying now, as hard as you have tried in the past. Jonah wasn't too far gone for God's grace to get a hold of him. Look at verse six again. He said, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet God was there. And what happened? You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah was at the lowest, darkest point in his life because of his own decisions, because of his own sin. Yet even there, even there, there was an ever-present opportunity for him to repent and turn back to God. Let's talk real quick about repentance, okay? That's a word that we see in the Bible a lot. The Bible uses that term, that phrase a lot, repentance. And so the fact that it's all over the Bible shows us how important that topic actually is. So we should listen, we should pay attention to what it means. Here it is. When Jesus comes on the scene as an adult starting his ministry in Mark chapter 1, one of the first things he says is repent and believe in the gospel. Now, what is repentance? You see, repentance means to turn around. It means that you were on this path, chasing your idols, chasing your sin, thinking that that was going to save you and make you a better person and impress all the people in your life, right? But repentance means that you wake up and realize that these things are not fulfilling like I thought they were. These things are leading to death a downward spiral that is unhinging my life. And so you wake up, you realize God's goodness, you turn around, and God puts you by faith in his name on a different path. That's exactly what repentance is. It is turning around and going back to God if you knew him all along and you were running away. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you're never going to struggle again. It doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. That's not what that means. But it does mean that you're going in a new direction now. You've confessed your sin and you've turned to Christ's authority over your sin instead of facing or submitting to the authority of your sin over you. That's exactly what Romans 6, Paul says in Romans six fourteen. It's an issue of whose, whose authority are you really submitting to, right? What are you pledging your allegiance to? What are you worshiping? Romans six fourteen Paul says, for sin... This is true for the believer, right? Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So if you really do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you belong to God and you've repented of your sin and turned to him for salvation then in the Christian life, you're on the right road, but as hard as it may be, along with those bumps along the road and the enticement and the temptation to sin and try to, try to go back, right? That's our inclination. We want to turn around, just like the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt when they were in the wilderness. They didn't think that was where God wanted them to be. They would rather have gone back to their slavery in Egypt, where at least they had three meals a day, they said. But in the Christian life, what we have to realize is that as hard as it is to live in this world for Jesus, sin cannot actually have complete dominion over you. Jesus rules your heart, even if you're trying to resist it. So sin cannot completely devour you. But it can entrap you Along the way on that path, repentance is evidenced by your lifestyle and posture towards God. It shows that a true change has taken place in your heart. Again, I'm speaking if you know God, if you are a true believer, then sin cannot have that dominion over you. But let me, I want to clarify here if you do not have a relationship with God, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then absolutely it's the opposite. Sin does have dominion over you. Now back to Jonah. Throughout this whole story of Jonah so far, we've seen him disobey, chase his idols, go further and further into despair. right? But all throughout that process, he's always had the chance to turn around. But he didn't. And now he's hit rock bottom. He's at that lowest, darkest moment of his life. But still, even there... There's the ever-present opportunity for him to repent and turn back to God because God is everywhere, because God cares. So God sends an unexpected and unpleasant rescue vessel for Jonah. You know, out of the context of this story, we we would never say that we would want to be swallowed by a large whale, right? I mean, that's crazy. But if you're drowning in the middle of the ocean, maybe it's not the worst option, right? You know what I mean? Some of you may be in that moment right now. You may be at rock bottom, so to speak, at that low point because you've been chasing an idol and it is leaving you dissatisfied every night when you lay your head on your pillow. You are not happy. You are not joyful. There is not peace in your heart because you have chased something that is slowly drowning you. But maybe, maybe God has allowed you in His grace, the unfathomable, unthinkable grace of God, maybe He has allowed you to get to that point so that you will wake up like Jonah and realize what you really need. Thank God that sometimes He lets us experience failure so that we can see what true success is. It's not about us building some great life. It's about us giving our heart to Jesus and letting him build us. Jonah 2, verse 8 again. Verse 8, he said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. T. Desmond Alexander says, those who worship idols will discover in times of trouble how impotent they really are. So in other words, when you do hit rock bottom, you'll realize how foolish all of that was. When you realize, right, just think of it this way. If the richest person in the world was on his or her deathbed with a terminal illness, their money would mean nothing in that moment. All the money in the world could not save that person from death. It would be powerless so when you reach that low point in your life if some of you are there now wake up and realize the powerlessness the fakeness and the idols that brought you to that point they have no power if you cry out to God like Jonah the good news is that God will give you the opportunity to turn back to him. And like the belly of that whale, the rescue vessel may be very unpleasant. So what I mean is your rescue vessel for repentance when you hit the bottom, when you're at that low, dark point of your life, it might be rehab. You may need to go to rehab for an addiction. And that's difficult. And maybe you don't want to do it. And you don't want to stick with it. But that is the well that God has sent you. It may feel like a prison, but that's exactly where he wants you to be. Because he's turning your life around. It may be marriage counseling. You don't want to go through that. You don't want to sit there and have to admit things and confess things. You don't want to have to go through that hard work of what it's going to take for your marriage to survive. But that's the well. Maybe that's the well that you need. And it's going to feel like a prison for maybe three days or three nights or three weeks or three months. But the bottom line is God has brought that you to that point in your life to save you because you were about to ruin your life. It may be meeting with a friend once a week to pray and study God's word together and just opening up to each other about your heart. Of course, somebody with the same sex, as the same sex as you, right? Building a friendship, a Christian friendship that you can rely on, that you can depend on. And that's ugly and that can get messy sometimes because we don't want to invite other people's problems into our lives, but maybe that's the whale well you need. God's grace in sending a whale or a fish to us, so to speak, a rescue vessel, it may seem restraining at first, but it's for your good. It was in the belly of the beast that Jonah was able to finally pray and reflect on God's. Truth. It's our low points in life that should serve as wake up calls to us before it's too late. Is God providing a rescue vessel for you in some form? Don't resist the help. A word of caution, though, as the rest of this story will show. Just because you hit rock bottom doesn't mean and doesn't guarantee that you will repent. Even if you cry out to God, it can still be all about you. I'm afraid that that might be what was happening in Jonah's heart. Because if you only cry out to God when times are bad, what does that say? Now, it's good that he's crying out to God, don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure that he's fully repenting in this moment. Again, we're going to see the evidence of that very soon, over the next couple of weeks. Just because you've hit that low point, you can still pray selfishly. You see, when we do this, we tend to bargain with God, don't we? It might go something like this. Lord, if you could just turn my financial situation around, I promise I'll be a better husband. I I promise I'll start going to church more. If you could just give me some, if you could just bless us with this money, Lord, I'll, I'll do these things for you. Like we start haggling with God like He's a street vendor. Hey, let me let, let's try to knock that price down a little bit. I don't want to have to commit too much here, Lord, but I do need your help. And so we do that. See, Jonah's grateful for God saving him from drowning, but that's it. Did you notice this? The problem with Jonah's prayer, it's not, that, it's not what he's saying. Because what he is saying is true it's what he's not saying genuine repentance right he doesn't mention anything here about the sailors he doesn't mention anything here about Nineveh the people he was supposed to go preach to did you notice there's nothing in his prayer about actually confessing his own sin thank you Lord for saving me but I still kind of want to answer to myself thanks for helping me out from drowning but I still kind of want to do my own thing Hitting rock bottom does not guarantee that your life is going to change. But there is the opportunity for it to. But you can't submit to your own authority and the authority of your idols. Genuine repentance takes the focus off yourself and constantly seeking to meet your needs and turns the attention to reconciling with those you've wronged and serving the needs of those you've ignored. But for today's story, we see in Jonah's downward spiral, that drowning effect of sin is real. There is always that opportunity to repent and turn back to God. I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, why keep treading water? Why tread water in our sin when the life raft, the rescue vessel we need, it's right there? If your life is hidden in Christ then He is your saving lifeboat. Because here's the amazing truth of the gospel. When you turn away from your sin and seek God's forgiveness, He will forgive you. When you turn to Jesus to be your Savior instead of yourself and your idols, you know what happens? A gracious God looks at you with compassion if you humbly approach Him and confess your sin to God, your Creator, He will look on you with love and care and compassion and He will forgive you. Our God is a forgiving God. I don't care how much bad you've done. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far gone you think you've gone. If you think you're too far gone, you're not farther than Jonah. And look how God rescued him. Cry out to God. the God of grace and forgiveness. He can rescue you in whatever situation you have found yourself in. When that happens, you become united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And what that means is that his life becomes your life. His death becomes your death. Listen to the way Paul said it. In Romans 6 verses 4 and 5, he said, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The three days and nights that Jesus spent in the tomb." Being united with Christ in salvation, that means that that was you in the tomb. It might as well have been you because when he rose from the grave, that was you rising to new life because you've been united with Jesus through faith. So what that means is beautiful for your life. It means that you don't have to chase idols you don't have to try to maintain a certain level of lifestyle because you've been given the riches of God in Christ Jesus for all eternity. And so you find your peace in that future eternal home, not the temporary home of this earth that wastes away. It means that as you struggle to try to keep up that appearance and that reputation for others, it means that you don't have to bow down to that idol. You submit to Jesus and you have His record credited to your account, so his reputation, that's what you're living for, not your own. And so that frees you to be at peace with God and others. It frees you to love others and serve them without putting your selfish, manipulative motives ahead of anything or anyone. Jesus is the greater Jonah who cast himself into the storm of your sin sacrificing himself, dying and spending three days and nights in a tomb so he could raise to new life and give you a home in the presence of God forever. He did that in your place. So if you feel like you're treading water today, I know you're probably exhausted. Chasing our sin, chasing our idols is an exhausting Way to live for every person so repent the opportunity is there today it's not going to be easy there will be difficult work to do but it is worth it in the end stop treading water in your sin today climb into the lifeboat that is already there for you and find rest for your soul. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So maybe we need to cry out to God, and I encourage you, you could use Psalm 61 as an example. You could pray this in just a minute. You could say, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The rock is Jesus Christ himself. If you've hit rock bottom, or you're just treading water, and you know that you're submitting your heart and your life to some kind of idol, some kind of object, some kind of mission that you've created to make much of yourself, if you confess that to God today, You can turn around. It is not too late, no matter who you are. Don't miss that opportunity today. Salvation belongs to the Lord and it can be yours. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, we love you and we are so grateful that you gave up your life in our place for us so that we could find true life in you. Lord, would You have mercy on us and forgive us? Hear our cry, O God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 61, Lord, listen to our prayers. From the lowest, darkest moments of our lives, Lord, if we're treading water or we've hit rock bottom, when our heart is faint, Lord, would You lead us to the rescue vessel? Would You lead us by Your grace to the rock that is higher than I? Jesus, You are our rock. You are our solid foundation. You are the vessel of salvation, Lord Jesus. You, it's you. And it should have been us on the cross dying for our own sin. That should have been the end of our downward spiral. But Jesus, there is hope in the gospel because you have taken our place. So Lord, I pray for anybody in here who's treading water, who's exhausted of trying to keep up a certain life and impress other people. Maybe they're drowning in the sin of manipulation. Maybe they're drowning in the sin of some kind of financial fraud or pornography. Lord, it could be any type of sin that they are treading water. They know they can't keep it up. God, save them. Turn their heart to you and let them cry out for salvation, for forgiveness. Lord, your word tells us that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may that be true in every heart in this room today. May we not leave here without truly casting our idols down and turning to you, Lord Jesus. Show us how to do that. Help us, Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.